Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join together in the worship of our triune God. A hearty welcome to all of you who are present here and to all those who have joined us via the live stream this afternoon. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. The consistory, together with the deacons, will meet tomorrow evening at 7.30pm. And this afternoon, the worship service will be led by Brother Reverend Stephen Tahart from the church in Melville. Before we commence this worship service, let us sing together. Hymn 23, verse 1 and 4. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Please rise and let us begin our worship together. As we gather for worship, we recognize we are gathering in the presence of our holy God. So let us lift up our hearts unto the Lord. And we confess together that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Receive God's greeting from Revelation chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing together from a book of praise from Psalm 76, Psalm 76, verse 1 and 4, and then following this, uh, we will sing hymn 1, the Apostles' Creed. So let's continue standing for the singing of hymn 1 after we've sung from Psalm 76. Thank you. 
Let's praise the Lord and ask for a blessing over the service. Father in heaven, in your word you have commanded us and called us to pray. We've been urged that supplications and prayers and intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people. And that we also to pray for kings and for all who are in high positions. And to pray so that, so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And so that all people may come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. And Father, we thank you that we may live in a land and in a time in which overall we may live and lead peaceful and quiet lives. We thank you for the privilege and the blessing which we have in this land. That we may gather together every Sunday. That we may worship you. That we may raise our children in a manner which is consistent with your holy word. That we may push back at times when we feel that the government or others are imposing on our responsibility to, to raise our children in the way that you have taught us. We have the blessing of having even our own reformed and Christian schools with reformed teachers. And our children can be instructed from Monday through to Friday in a manner that is consistent with what you've revealed to us in your word. And we have the blessing also to be able to speak without fear to others. To tell them also about the wonderfully good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. And we even have the right, the privilege, the possibility to speak into the politics of the day. To speak words of encouragement and also words of concern and words of warning when there is a turning away from you. And in this way, Heavenly Father, we recognize the incredible blessing of this time, of this era, this age in which we live. Because we know that it's not like this throughout the world. And it's not like this in all times of world history either. Yes, even for us, Lord, we, we see clouds in the horizon and every now and then there is a time in which we feel opposed when we feel the pressure of, of a world that rejects you and rejects the kingship of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A world that wants the church, yes, that wants your word to be silenced. And we also live in a world that is, that is struck by fear. And also as we look around, we do know of many who are persecuted for your name's sake. Many countries where they do not have that freedom to worship as we do. Where there isn't the opportunity to, to gather together and to, to sit under the preaching. Where there isn't the opportunity to send uh, men to receive 
theological training and so that they may be well equipped and well trained to proclaim your word. Where families are split up, where there is division and discord on account of these things. And we know too, Lord, of your people in the Ukraine who are suffering so much on account of the war which is ongoing there and, and, and the bloody brutality of this war and, and of how this is, this is just getting worse at the moment. And we cry out for them also. And then we also know, Lord, of the, the fears and the concerns that, that our world has with respect to a climate, weather patterns, uh, fires, uh, floods, droughts, and so forth, and fear of what is and what may be to come. And it's in this world, Lord, which we live. But Father, well, then we also know that our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who sits on the throne. Yes, even as we were assured when we uh, began this worship service, uh, where we received that salutation of the grace and of peace that comes to us from you, the triune God, you, the one who was, who is, and who is to come. You, the one, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the firstborn of the dead, and you, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit and Spirits before the throne. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that in this way we may also have confidence and trust. And this way we may also not only uh, rejoice and be thankful for the blessings we have in the present, but that you also give to us hope for the future. Father, we'll be hearing more about these things in this afternoon's service. And so as we turn to your word, and as we hear it preached with respect to the fact that our Lord Jesus Christ is seated at your right hand, and that from there he will come to judge the living and the dead, we pray, Heavenly Father, that we may be strengthened and edified and blessed, that your name may be honored and glorified and praised, and that we may also have confidence, no matter what the future may hold for us, or for others of your church. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I was asked to proclaim God's word to you as uh, summarized in uh, Lord's 19 of the Heidelberg Catechism uh, with respect to our Lord Jesus Christ being seated at the right hand of the Father and also that from there he'll come to judge the living and the dead. In that connection, I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to read together from the book of Revelation. Uh, chapter 6, Revelation chapter 6, and at this particular time as we go through Lord's 19, I'd like to uh, really focus uh, quite heavily on, on the scripture passage uh, that we'll be reading together. Revelation chapter 6 speaks of the opening of the, uh, the seven seals. The first six. Now I, and this is John, the one who received this revelation. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, 
so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death. And Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should complete should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the, gray, as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? So far the reading from God's word. Let's sing together from Psalm 79, Psalm 79 verse 1, 4 and 5.
It's the practice here in Southern River to uh, listen to God's word uh, in the afternoon services particularly uh, and through this we follow a summary of God's word as we confess together in Heidelberg Catechism and today we're up to Lord's Day 19 of the Catechism. Uh, you can read along on page 533 in your book of praise. This part of the Catechism is dealing with the Apostles' Creed, that creed which we sang in hymn one earlier in this service and it's just explaining each different section of this creed and we've come up to the section on where our Lord Jesus Christ who is ascended into heaven sits at the right hand of God and from there he'll come to judge the living and the dead let's read these together from questions 50 51 and 52 why is it added and sits at the right hand of God Christ ascended into heaven to manifest himself there as head of his church through whom the Father governs all things how does the glory of Christ our head benefit us? First, by the Holy Spirit, he pours out heavenly gifts upon us, his members. Second, by his power, he defends and preserves us against all enemies. And what comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. So far the reading from Lord's 19, as mentioned uh, in the sermon, I'll be uh, following uh, particularly uh, Revelation chapter 6, but of course in the context of what we just read about in Lord's 19. Beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, I do want you to notice something that's very interesting about what we confess in Laws 19 of the Heidelberg Catechism. As I mentioned, Laws 19 deals with the section of the Apostles' Creed where we confess that Christ now sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty and from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. Now what I'd like you just to notice here is that the first question and answer of Laws 19, question answer 50, it teaches us that having ascended into heaven, Christ manifests himself there, he displays himself there, he proves himself and shows himself as head of his church through whom the Father governs all things. That means that Christ is king, that he rules. He rules his church, he cares for it, and uh, to connect this to Laws 21 of the Catechism, in our Lord Jesus Christ, as head of the church, he gathers, defends, and preserves it. And yes, through him, the Father governs all things. Jesus Christ, therefore, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He governs and controls all peoples and all things. But from there, Laws 19 takes a bit of a turn. From there, Laws 19 still speaks positively about the, the governing power of our Lord Jesus Christ... But it also speaks about our enemies in answer 51. By his power, defends, preserves us against all enemies. And then answer 52 speaks about all my sorrow and persecution. And also again, Christ's and my enemies. And so Lord say 19 has this, this paradox. A paradox that we experience in everyday life. 
And especially when we face grief and suffering and death and persecution. The Lord Jesus is king. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's there for the progression, for the well-being of his church. Yes, for you and me. But right now, we individually and certainly as churches and the church throughout the world, we do experience much pain. And as I acknowledged also when we acknowledged in the prayer, it is true that yes, right here and now, we can also experience wonderfully the peace and the blessing we have here in Southern River. And yet we know that the church throughout the world overall suffers. It has suffered, it does suffer, and it will suffer. Why is that? What's happening? And how is it all going to end? Well, this afternoon we're going to consider these things when we turn to God's word in Revelation chapter 6. And as we do so, we'll see that Christ is not lacking in power. Further, he's not just simply sitting there passively at the Father's right hand, just waiting until his time will come. But he is using all things to bring about his purposes until he comes to judge the living and the dead. And that's what I wish to preach to you about this afternoon. This is my theme. He who sits at God's right hand is in command. He who sits at God's right hand is in command. Two points. He governs all things. And secondly, he will judge all all people. Now we read together from uh, Revelation chapter 6. And you may have been wondering as we began reading this uh, what it's all about. Uh, what's the meaning of these, these seals of, uh, that have been opened? Uh, what about these different colored horses and so forth? One of the challenges, of course, we have in church is that we will go to a passage such as Revelation chapter 6. And it's not as though we've just been refreshed about chapter, chapters that go beforehand. Now, in this particular case, uh, Revelation 6 is part of a vision that actually does begin in chapter 4. Chapter 4, John is taken up and by the Spirit to heaven where he sees God seated on his throne. And what, what John saw was, was something of incredible splendor. And then in the middle of all that splendor, he saw that, that God had a scroll in his right hand. A scroll that had been sealed with seven wax-type seals. And this scroll, John knew, it, it contained God's plan for the history of the world. And of, of the things that would soon take place after this, as it says in chapter 4. Then in chapter 5, an angel asked with a very loud voice, Well, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And then verse 3 and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth is able to open the scroll or to look into it. And this is devastating for John. And so he weeps and he cries loud tears, and many tears. And the reason why John weeps so much is not just because this means that, that he would never know what's written there, but, but it meant that no one had the power to carry out the things that were in it. Because the one who would open these seals would also be the one through whom these things would happen. If the scroll was not opened, that means that God's plans for the future would not turn out. If the scroll would not be opened, 
then the church would not survive. If the scroll was not open, then there would be no protection in times of trial, no ultimate triumph for the people of God, and no new heavens and no new earth. If the scroll was not opened, the dragon would succeed in destroying God's church and the beast would have full and uncontrolled authority over every tribe and tongue and nation. And so John weeps in chapter 5. He wept for what seemed to be a lost cause. But then John sees, he sees a lion. He sees a lion of Judah. A lamb as if slain. And this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And John came, sorry, and Jesus came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And then all heaven praised the Lamb, the Son of God. And this is verse 9 of chapter 5. They praised the Lord Jesus and they said this, chapter 5, verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so the stage is set for the opening of the seals to learn what's in the scroll, what's going to take place with respect to the history of the world. Now we'll learn the things that would soon take place. Now we'll see something of just how our Lord Jesus Christ would use his authority over the earth and what's going to become of his church. And then we get to chapter 6. But then comes a shock. In fact, it's more than a shock. It's actually horrible. Because as the seals were opened, and as the future unfolded before John's eyes, he did not see a time of ease and of well-being, of wealth and of prosperity, but instead he was confronted with a graphic images of, of military destruction, of civil disorder, of social break breakdown, of famine, of death. Let's have a look at that. When the first seal was opened, he saw a white horse. Chapter 6, verse 2. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. Well, what's a white horse? Well, a white horse symbolized, uh, was, was often ridden by the leader of an army as a sign of victory. And that's the case here. The rider of the horse that John saw in Revelation 6 verse 2, he not only had a bow with which to attack and to conquer, but he was also given a crown. Specifically, this would have been a wreath as a sign of victory. And so the horse, along with this rider then, was a horse of conquest that went into the world to expand his empire, to kill, to plunder. And so this horse speaks about nation rising up against nation, kingdom against kingdom, a lust for power, a lust for conquest. Then we get a second horse. Follows in the heels of the first one. Verse 3 and 4. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. Something to think about. Because those people who go out those nations go out to attack other nations in conquest. They think they even promise of the peace and the prosperity that's going to follow. They're going out and conquering the world, yes, for their own fame and glory, but they have this idea that the world will be a better place when they are in control. 
But more often than not, and also that was the experience in the Roman Empire, the truth is something else. The red horse describes the peace that was taken from the earth. It speaks of rebellion, of civil disorder, of civil war, and of murder. This would be a return to the days of Noah, of violence, and of bloodshed. And with the war and civil disorder comes, comes famine. And so the third horse that was revealed in the opening of the third seal was a black one. And the one sitting on this black horse had scales in his hand, weighing scales, that is. Verse 6. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. This means that life is going to be hard. Wheat would be carefully measured out, and all that a day's wages, that's a denarius, all that a day's wages would buy was, was a quart, perhaps about a litre, barely enough for one person to survive on for a day. And for the worker who had other family members to support, his denarius, his day's wages, would just buy him three quarts of barley. This would be a time of starvation rations for many. This is living off a minimum wage of a dollar a day. And so that was what the Apostle John learned would happen in the future history of the world. But even that's not the end. Following the third horse would be a fourth horse, and it's going to be a pale one, more specifically the color of death. Verse 8. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. So this was the future that's revealed to John. It's horrible, it's ghastly, and it's shocking. And it makes you wonder, what's going on? What's the point of all of this? What is it all about? Why would the victorious lamb, Jesus Christ, open the seals that would unleash such horror on mankind? Did he not come to bring peace on earth? Remember that song of the angels? If the Lord Jesus truly sits on God, at God's right hand as king and as ultimate ruler, what kind of a king is he that his kingship would lead to such horrible things to take place in the future? But even that's not all. Then comes the fifth seal, verse 9 and 10. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? See, this is the cry of the martyrs, the cries of those who have been killed for the sake of Jesus Christ. How long, O Lord? How long is this going to last? How long... How much longer do your children need to suffer, even experience persecution and death for your namesake? And so Revelation chapter 6 teaches us that the period of time between his ascension into heaven and, the, and his coming of judge would be a time in which the church, the people of God, will experience great distress. 
But that's not all there is to know. Rather, in all of this, in all of that which is to come, Revelation chapter 6 reminds us that God is still in control. And that is, we confess in Lord's 19, that he governs all things through his son, Jesus Christ, the one who sits at right hand, his right hand. That's something for us to think about also when it comes to these terrible things that are described here. And yes, to terrible things that we see and observe in this world and even observe in our own lives. If there is no God, and if Christ was not seated on his throne, then war and famine and death would fill us with nothing but dread and despair, and persecution would have no meaning. If there was no God, and if there was no sense or reason to the ebb and flow of human history, and there was nothing to look forward to, then there is no significance, no meaning, and no lesson in the suffering that we experience. If there's no God, and if Christ is not seated on his throne, then the night would be dark, and there'll be no glimmer of dawn. But there is a God, and Jesus Christ is seated on his throne. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and therefore we may know that these things do not come by chance. Nor does evil of this present age suggest a lack of power of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who sits upon his throne. For everything which has taken place on earth, yes, even the horror of war and of famine and of death and of persecution, this is not outside of God's control. History is firmly in Christ's hand. Because it was the risen Christ, our ascended Lord, the Lamb of God, who opened the seals and who set in motion the times in which we live, the times that are moving towards the end of the age. And understand also that it was the risen Christ, the ascended Lord, who sits at the right hand of the Father. He is the one who gave those riding those four-colored horses the ability to do what they did. Just have a look at that again. Verse 2. And I looked and behold a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him. He didn't snatch it. It wasn't by his power. A crown was given to him. Verse 4. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth. Verse 8. And I looked and behold a pale horse and its rider's name was Death and the Hades followed him and they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill it and so forth. The things that happen, terrible though they are, are not outside of Christ's control. Rather, he who is at God's right hand is in command and he governs all things. Now, this may raise other questions. Indeed, it doesn't answer every question either. And this may not always explain why things have to be the way that they are. But this does comfort us in the knowledge that Christ is still king, that he is in command, that he governs all things, and that he does so for us. It also gives us assurance that as we go through and as we experience and as we see suffering 
and terrible events happening, we are not taken by surprise. Nor do we think that this is going to be the end and that is it. But we know that the end, the true end, will come. That the history of the world as described in the opening of the seals will reach its end. That the suffering for God's people will be over. That one day Jesus Christ will return. And when he does, he will come to judge the living and the dead. And we'll see this further in our second point. Revelation chapter 6, it goes on with the opening of the sixth seal, verse 12 to 17. And I'd like to read these verses again. And when he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that has been rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? The Lord Jesus is coming as judge. And for many his coming will cause great fear and horror. Hide us, they'll cry out, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. And my brothers and sisters, this is something that we need to understand with great soberness. We rightly know the Lord as the God of love. He is kind. He is compassionate. He is abounding in goodness and truth. He forgives sin. He gives good gifts to us as children. He feeds his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them in his bosom. He gently leads those who are with young. And concerning Jesus Christ, we know that our Lord Jesus is gentle and lowly of spirit. His burden is easy and his yoke is light. He's the one who took the children in his arms to bless them. He's the one who fed the hungry. He's the one who healed the sick. Like his father, he binds up the brokenhearted. He wipes away every tear from our eyes. He is, as John the Baptist declared, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. But in Revelation, we also read about something else. In Revelation chapter 6, both he who sits on the throne and the Lamb of God cause such great fear and terror to the people of this world that they plead to the mountains and the rocks to hide them from his face. And the fear of God gripped all men, kings and great men, the rich and the army commanders and the mighty men, as well as every slave and freedman. So they all tried to flee in terror and to flee from the mighty, from the wrath of the Lamb. And you might wonder, how, 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 how come? How can this be? Is this the same Lamb of God who came to take away from the sins of the world that now they're running from? Is this the same Jesus who called himself gentle and lowly of heart, who is invoking such terror in the hearts of those people? And the answer is, indeed it is. 
Yes, it's the same Jesus. And when we think about him, and when we witness concerning him to others, this is also something that we would do well to pay attention to. You see, we need to have a right understanding of the God whom we serve. We need to be careful. We do not make an image of him in our hearts, an image that takes away his holiness, his greatness, his majesty, his wrath, so that we end up with a savior who looks tender and sweet, but who has no power and authority, and is hardly the, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Our Lord Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. He is in command. He governs all things. And soon this Jesus is going to judge all people. Soon the day is coming when he'll return on the clouds of heaven and he's going to pour out his wrath in judgment. He's going to execute justice and vengeance on his enemies. The Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. His judgment on sin has come and it will come. What does it mean for us practically? It means that, that when it comes to preaching from here, from the pulpit, uh, but also in our teaching and also in our evangelizing, there, there needs to be a warning. Just as John the Baptist called the people to repentance, telling them that the axe was at the root of the tree, so we must tell one another that judgment is coming. We can't pretend that it's not. The world will not go on forever as it is. But we know that at the end of this world, judgment day will come. And this judgment day is a day that will cause men and women to run for the hills and to plead for the rocks to cover them in the vain hope that this would keep them from the wrath of God. That's a, that's a strong message. That's a, a great warning message that the scriptures teach us. And we cannot ignore it. But for God's children, this is not a cause to fear. For God's children, this is not something that we just simply causes us to be immobilized and say, yes, but. For God's children, there is comfort in the knowledge that our Lord Jesus Christ will return to judge the living and the dead. You remember Lord's 19, answer 52. What comfort is it to you that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead? In all my sorrow and persecution, you remember all those horses and all the, the, the terrible things which is going to happen and, and, and the souls under the altar crying out, how long before justice comes? In all my sorrow and persecution, I lift up my head and eagerly await as judge from heaven the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. He will cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation. But he will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joy and glory. It is a comfort to know that the Lord will show forth his justice he will judge those who have acted wickedly. He will answer the cry of the martyrs. 
He will avenge their blood that has been shed. But of even greater comfort is to know who it is who is going to come to judge the living and the dead. And to know that it is the very same person who before has submitted himself to the judgment of God for my sake and has removed all the curse from me. It is this Jesus who is going to come to judge the living and the dead. And because, because we who are in Christ, Jesus, we do not have to fear the wrath that is to come, therefore. When all the men and all the people of Revelation chapter 6, when they ran to the hills, when they cried out to the mountains, and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb, they also said in verse 17, they said, For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? But the good news I may declare to you this afternoon is that there is a way to stand. There is a way of escape. And the answer to escape, the answer is this. To escape from the wrath of the Lamb, do not run away from Him, but instead turn and run to Him. To escape from the wrath of the Lamb, do not run away from Him, but instead turn and run to Him. Run to the Lamb, to the one who comes to judge the living and the dead. Yes, run to Him who loves us and who washed us from all our sin in His own blood. This is what we heard in Revelation 1 verse 5, the beginning of the sermon, the service, sorry, in the, in the greeting. Run to the Lamb who was slain so that by His death we might have life. It is Jesus Christ, 1 Thessalonians 1 tells us, it is Jesus Christ who delivers us from the wrath that is to come. It's chapter 1 verse 10. When we come to him in faith, having been sealed with the promise of his covenant, then we may be sure that we will not face his wrath, but we will receive his salvation. Because he suffered the agony of the cross, and he hung there at a time when the sun turned to darkness, and when the earth quaked as God the Father poured out upon us, upon him, his wrath against the sin of the whole human race, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, he alone could stand before the wrath of God to make atonement for sin. And he did so by drinking the cup of God's wrath so that in him we might be saved. And this is what God's word teaches us. Romans 5 verse 8 to 10. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You heard that this morning, didn't you, at the Lord's Supper? And since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if we were, while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Who then can stand on the day of judgment? You can. And so can I. But only when we are in Christ Jesus, only when we are sealed by his righteousness, only when we are part of that great multitude that Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 is going to talk about, a multitude that no one can number, of every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages, 
standing before the throne and before the Lamb and clothed in white robes and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to a God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. By all means, be warned and warn others of the wrath that is to come. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Be warned and let there be a sense of urgency both for yourself and when you speak to others. Particularly for those who do not live as one reconciled to God. With a warning there comes a hope. Let no one say, well, there's no room for me. Let no one say, my sin is too great. My life is too broken. The Lord will never turn his wrath away from me because I blew it once too often. But instead, run to the Lamb. Run to the one who was slain and seek your forgiveness and salvation in him. Because now, 2 Corinthians 6, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And when you are sealed in the blood of the Lamb, that means when you find your hope and salvation in Him, then you can be sure that neither death nor life, nor things present nor things to come, yes, not even the wrath that is to come, is going to be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. The nations that do not fear God will cry out in terror, who is able to stand? But the good news I may preach to you today is that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so run to the Lamb. Run to the one who sits at the right hand of the Father because in Him you will be safe. Amen. Well, let's sing together from Psalm 2, Psalm 2 verse 4.
Let's pray. By the blessing that is ours, O God, that all who trust in our Lord Jesus Christ you will cherish, you will defend and bless us all our days. By the blessing that is ours, O Lord, to be assured that when we trust in our Lord Jesus Christ is when we run to him, that he will by no means reject us or turn us away, but that in him we may be declared forgiven, healed, restored. In him we may be assured of life that is eternal. Thank you also for the comfort and the hope that that gives to us. Also when we, when we look towards a future that in many ways does seem to be bleak, also when we observe in ourselves and in our own circumstances, but also in your church and other parts of the world, suffering, hardship, challenges, and grief, that we may know that our Lord Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, and that it is through him that you, O God, Father, govern all things, and that we may be sure of the time that is to come, when he will return to judge the living and the dead. Father, may it be that not one of us will be found absent or missing on that day. May we indeed be found to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. May we be found to be amongst those to whom our Lord Jesus Christ will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. But Father, there is indeed that warning which comes with this as well. That word of warning also for those who are resisting Christ, who are rejecting him, who are turning their backs on him, who do not wish to listen nor to believe. Father, we pray that we also may recognize the urgency of the moment. Also, as we reach out to them and call them to repent. And we pray, Lord, that by your grace, many amongst them also may indeed hear that call. And turning to you, may believe. And turning to you and running to the Lamb, may with us be assured of the life that is to come. Yes, for our good and for our blessing, but for your glory. Lord, thank you for your blessing upon us today. And thank you for the feast which we could have this morning with a celebration of Lord's Supper. Thank you for your word which we could receive then and also this afternoon. Bless us now as we go from here. We pray, Lord, that you also strengthen us and care for us in the week that lies ahead. That we may serve you rightly in all things. And that in this way, we may indeed be built up in the faith, and we may serve you and we may praise you, that your name may be glorified. And we long for next Sunday, when we can be together again in church, and the Sunday after that, and after that, until the eternal Sabbath may come. Yes, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. In his name we pray. Amen.
You have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord this afternoon, and we have a collection this afternoon for uh, Fair Haven, a retirement home, and for uh, those uh, in, our, in our churches. Uh, following the collection, we'll sing together from hymn 52, verse 3 and 4.
Lift up your hearts unto the Lord to receive his blessing and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.